Coming up on today's episode of the Lockdown Bucks podcast, we talk about the 10 worst moves the Buccaneers franchise has made over the last 10 years. But first, Tom Brady will be partaking in a sporting event this Sunday alongside Peyton Manning, Tiger Woods, and Phil Mickelson. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast brought to you in part by Built Bar. Head to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. I am James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Your Tampa Bay Buccaneers lead story is this Sunday. Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady will be partaking in a golf outing, I guess is the way we're going to phrase this, uh, helping to raise money for charity and COVID-19 relief. He will be teaming up with legendary PGA golfer Phil Mickelson, and they will be taking on the duo of Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning. A lot of people remember the Phil Mickelson versus Tiger Woods. Uh, they called it the match that happened on Black Friday just a few years ago. It was a pay-per-view event. It was really, really entertaining. The two of them were, were mic'd up, and they were going back and forth. But as, as they got a little bit further into the contest, the less loose they got, the less jokes they told, and the more serious it became. And you know, for those that, that didn't watch it, it came down to a sudden death. They had to continuously play. Uh, you know, the, the final hole over and over until finally Mickelson was able to win. So this time Mickelson will team up with Tom Brady and, and Woods with Peyton Manning. And the way they're going to do this is on the front nine, it's bas- basically going to be a best ball. And then on the back nine, they are going to do a modified alternate shot. And at the end, you know, whichever team has the lowest score will end up winning. Um, yeah, David, I know you're not a golf fan. I, I found that out right as we were getting ready to record, and I'm a little, uh, still a little upset about some hurtful things that you said. But, um, you know, you take a look at, at, you know, these four guys putting on a show uh, for people to watch in a time that we really just don't have sports. And not only that, but, you know, providing $10 million for COVID-19 relief. Is this something that you might actually partake in, in watching for a few minutes, if nothing else, just to see the witty banter of one Peyton Manning? You know, if, if I ever was going to watch golf, this would be something that got me to do so. And, and it's not that I dislike the game of golf. Like I, I've been to driving ranges. Um, I'm not very good at it at all, uh, but I do enjoy getting out there and, and you know, uh, doing that with with buddies on occasion. Um, I've never, I, you know, truth be told, I've never gone out and played nine holes, eighteen holes, you know, anything, any sort of golf outside of a putt putt course. So the driving range and putt putt is my only exposure to the game of golf. So I guess it's not so much something I can say I dislike. It's just something that's never really piqued my interest. But you know, I mean, anytime you get to see athletes kind of cross over into different sporting arenas. Uh, especially in kind of a fun environment, you know, it's going to be a little bit less serious. You know, like, I mean, you said the last time they did this, it got more serious as it went on. And, and that's, you know, that's always good too, because you don't want 18 holes of just joking around and, 
and messing around. You do at least eventually want to see these guys and their competitive spirit come out. So I think that's a good blend, you know, between the fun of it and kind of the novelty of these guys playing a game that they don't actually play professionally or, you know, uh, on the on the major stage. But then still seeing that competitive blood kind of come to a boil and, and really come to the surface would be interesting. So, yeah, I mean, while I'm not a golf fan, like you said, uh, this I'm, I'm, a fan, I'm a fan of stuff like this. The, these, these types of events are always great. And then anytime athletes or anybody with any type of marketability goes out there and puts themselves out there to, to try to help others, uh, it's always great. You know, there's always the crowd that says, well, why don't they just donate a bunch of money and, you know, forget the game and all that stuff. Well, you know, the game is to benefit other people too, because even if that's, you know, say the, the whole COVID thing really hasn't impacted your life, it's still, if you're a sports fan, then it's still impacted your life in the sense that you don't have basketball, baseball, hockey right now, like you're supposed to. So this does, like you said, give you something to watch on a Sunday, you know, if you're not doing something else with your time uh, or you just enjoy these types of things or golf in its, in its own. And for those that, that will be interested in viewing the match champions for charity will be held at the medalist golf club in Hobe sound, Florida. Uh, Tiger Woods is actually a member of that golf club. So there's his home field advantage. Uh, you know, Brady having to go on the road uh, to face off with, uh, with Woods and Manning. The, the course was designed by Greg Norman uh, back in 1995 it will be broadcast live on TNT, TBS, True TV, HLN uh, on Sunday, May 24th at 2 o'clock p.m. It's also being streamed live uh, on TBS.com, TNTDrama.com, and on the TNT, TBS, and Bleacher Report apps. Coming up, David and I are going to count down the 10 worst moves the Buccaneers franchise has made in the last decade. But first, you know we got to talk about Built Bar because Built Bar is phenomenal. Also, shout out to one of our listeners, Josefina Gonzalez at WiffyBoatG27 on Twitter. She sent us a picture of her basket of Built Bars and said, thanks for the suggestion. Now I just need to see how it tastes better, chilled or frozen. Uh, it, David, she's got a flavor in here that I did not know I could get my hands on, and it's the Key Lime. I need to try this key lime built bar. Josephina, if you can um if you can let me know how the key lime is, I would greatly appreciate it because that is not something I knew I could get. I knew they had 16 amazing flavors, but I didn't know key lime was one of them. Their bars, of course, are covered in 100 percent chocolate. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. So you guys just gotta head over to builtbar.com, use promo code locked on, and you'll get ten dollars off of your first order. New flavors that they dropped in May. I'm gonna run down the list of all of them. They they released some on May 10th, they released some on May 18th. Dark chocolate cookie dough, mango, peach cobbler, peanut butter banana, pineapple upside down cake, coconut pecan pie, and blueberry. Lemon, all those new flavors dropped in the month of May. So head over to BillBar.com. Use promo code Locked On for ten dollars off your first order. Wrapping up our week here on the Locked On Bucks podcast, and like James said earlier, we're going to dive into the ten worst decisions made by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers franchise in the last ten years. This is an idea, guys. I want to make sure everybody understands before we get into this. This is not meant to be taken in an angry sort of, of way. This is meant to be fun. We're going to crack some jokes, make fun of some of these moves and all that stuff, but we're not trying to be, you know, we're not trying to have any animosity or anything like that. So please, guys, take it for what it's supposed to be. 
And that is an entertaining way to start your weekend, send you out for the week. Uh, we're going to do this. And James, starting off the list, we're going to go from 10 to 1. Number 10, the 10th worst move by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the last 10 years, drafting Alabama safety Mark Barron. Yeah, yeah, that was that was an unfortunate move. I, I mean, I guess I like the idea in theory, but David, I'm going to rattle off a couple of names that the Bucks missed on by taking Mark Barron at number seven. Uh, Luke Keekley, Stephon Gilmore, Dontari Poe, Fletcher Cox, Bruce Irvin, Melvin Ingram, Chandler Jones. Those are all guys worthy of a, a top 10 pick. And quite frankly, uh, Mark Barron just wasn't. Right. And I'll tell you, I remember when Mark Barron came out of Alabama. I remember, I remember when the Buccaneers drafted him. I was actually pretty happy about the selection at the time. But yeah, I mean, time is the is the teller of all things. That's why grading draft classes as soon as they come out really isn't as as effective. It's more again, it's an it's an entertainment function more than it is an actual operational analysis. Uh, the the drafting of Mark Barrett did not turn out well for this team. He went on uh, to have some success in the National Football League. Never reached you know the the top of his profession by any means. But then you know I think what what makes that pick just a little bit worse is the fact that the success he did find wasn't even at the position the Buccaneers envisioned him playing. So not only did they miss just on the player entirely, they missed on how his attributes would fit in the NFL game at the completely wrong type of position uh, for him. But James, number nine is a pick that I know you're very familiar with, or not a pick, a player that you're very familiar with. Uh, our listeners, I'm sure, are very familiar with. They remember him. If they don't remember him, they can easily go back to Hard Knocks and watch that season and get acquainted with Mr. Chris Swaggy Baker. Uh, Chris Baker and I, uh, fun story. We are best friends. Uh, we talk on the phone all the time. We, uh, we, we Snapchat, we, uh, we text, we, you know, babysit each other's dogs. No, uh, Chris Baker hates me, uh, sent me numerous middle finger emojis and gifts after he left the Buccaneers and went to the Cincinnati Bengals. And all I was trying to do was be nice. I just said, Hey, Swaggy, we'll see you in the fall. And he replied with like five middle finger emojis. Um, so it is what it is. No, that was a terrible signing. Uh, you know, Chris Baker got three years, 15.75 million, 9 million total guaranteed. He played one season and I use the term played very loosely. Uh, yeah, Chris Baker's pathetic and awful. And he couldn't even play for the Bengals because God forbid he practiced. Yeah, the signing of Chris Baker definitely did not uh... – end up impacting the Buccaneers way they had hoped when they brought him on board. Of course, that was the same time they brought in Deshaun Jackson. And honestly, without Deshaun Jackson arriving to Tampa at the same time, Chris Baker signing probably doesn't get near as much press or attention as it did. But I think him coming in tandem kind of with Deshaun Jackson really kind of helped that whole thing go on. And I remember, you know, going back to that time, this is a guy who made it known to the Washington Redskins that he wanted to stay in the franchise, stay with the team. And they very politely or maybe not so politely said, thanks, but no thanks. Didn't even make him an offer. Like it's, it's not like they made him an offer and he decided to go bet on himself, quote unquote, and see what he could get in, in free agency. The the Washington Redskins very much said, your contract is up. Your key card is no longer working. Enjoy the rest of your career. We'll see you when we see you. And that right there is kind of a sign when another national, when another team in the national football league doesn't even, make you an, a cursory offer. We see guys get low-balled all the time. Well, they don't even make you a low-ball offer. That just kind of shows how much they really don't want you sticking around. Now, through the Hard Knock series, you know, he was, he was entertaining, and I, I'll admit, as much as anybody else, I enjoyed his antics here and there as a viewer of the program. But then I go back to him, you know, kind of harassing 
Roberto Aguayo. And I'm sure he's not the only guy to ever do that. It's not the first team to ever do that or whatever. But I did kind of, you know, to me in that moment, I was like, this is not, you know, your job as a defensive tackle. That's coach's job and special team coordinator. But anyway, we can get into all the ethics of who should be doing what and all that. But yeah, that experiment definitely did not go well. And then uh, we all think back to that Carolina Panthers game, and then the locker room scuffle argument, whatever you want to call it, that happened after that game as well. Uh, couldn't get him out of Tampa any faster. You know, I don't know him as a person, never had any interactions with him the way that you did, but definitely a guy that I think everybody related to the Buccaneers was happy to see leave town. By the way, real quick, uh, I will say that I did win my my bet that I basically made with myself that when he signed with the Bengals, I said I could eat more Skyline uh, Chili Coney's in one sitting than he would have sacks. Uh, yeah, I won. I won big time. Congratulations. Oh, goodness. All right, number eight, uh, we are looking at drafting Brian Price. Brian Price was a second-round selection for GM Mark Dominic at the time. And Mark Dominic even pointed to this, this draft as – or this draft pick as his biggest mistake as a GM. Not going to say I agree with that assessment, but if the GM says this is his biggest mistake, then we're going to have to put it on the list – as being one of the worst moves the last 10 years. Just a couple of names in that second round that the Bucks passed on in favor of Brian Price. Uh, current Buccaneer tight end Rob Gronkowski. Uh, former Buccaneer safety TJ Ward. You had Linval Joseph, Daryl Washington, Carlos Dunlap, Sean Lee, all taken after Brian Price. They tried to double up on the defensive tackles, pair him with uh with Gerald McCoy and it just didn't work out man yeah I mean Brian Price coming out of UCLA the big you know the big knock on him and I think you know I think we've talked about that on this show specifically um you know most of the time when draft picks or when players just in general uh don't pan out in the National Football League it very seldomly has to do with just actual talent and usually has to do with either work ethic mentality uh maturity or just a combination thereof you know, and you can look back to many, many draft picks in the NFL and with the Buccaneers and any other organization, and really you point to mental stability or ability as a reason for their downfall, not necessarily talent. And Brian Price is just another one of those guys. Um, there, there's been several kind of recap episodes of podcasts that I listen to and people that I've, I've, I respect in the business who have talked about the fact that Brian Price, is, he, was, he was a fish out of water in, in the purest term as a kid who uh, grew up in Southern California, never really left Southern California unless it was in a controlled football environment. And the next thing you know, he's a multimillionaire or he's a millionaire in uh, Tampa, Florida, in the East Coast, you know, completely moved across the country for the first time ever on his own. And he just did not take to it well. And, you know, if, if you're not if you're not there in your in your head, whether it's maturity or mental stability, you're not going to be effective in your profession. I don't care what profession you're in. And that's the case of Brian Price. So it really sucks for the kid. It sucks for you know, the organization as well to, to, to put that draft capital into him and then not have it work. But yeah, that was a, a huge swing and miss. Uh, and then moving to number seven, James, I'm going to let you go deep on this one because you were very excited to add this one to the list. Uh, yeah, this is, you know, this isn't pointing a finger at a GM. This isn't pointing a finger at the coach. I'm not sure what department we're pointing the finger at on this one. I don't know if it was the marketing department. I don't know if it was the PR department. I don't know who it was in one buck place that said, you know what? Let's get excited for the season. New slogan, Siege the Day. Really? Oh, that was a huge swing and a miss. It was bad enough, you know, having the It's a Bucks Life, which is now a moniker for all of the 
pains that that the fan base suffers. But Siege the Day, that was even worse. I don't know who signed off on that one, and they couldn't get rid of it fast enough. So kudos to whoever looked at that and said, yeah, you know what? Get rid of that. We're going to do this fire the cannon stuff, which is fantastic. Um, Yeah, Siege the Day, so bad. Yeah, Siege of the Day, as far as mottos are concerned, Siege of the Day, I think, is right up there with Army of One for me. Just just completely cringeworthy. And just, I remember the first time I heard it or saw it, I just, it, it just didn't sit well. And yeah, happy, happy that's going. Because like you said, I mean, at least It's a Buck's Life has turned into kind of a cult classic. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the Creamsicles, you know, when, when the Creamsicles were around, nobody liked them outside of, of Tampa. Nobody that wasn't a Buccaneers fan was envious of that uniform. But then over time, it's just, it's kind of become a badge of honor. And it's a Bucks life, I think, has kind of become uh, similar to that. But Siege of the Day was just disgusting. Um, and then something else that turned out to be disgusting, but maybe wasn't as cringeworthy off right off the bat, but definitely turned into something that Bucks fans probably want to forget is the signing of safety to Sean Goldson. Yeah, that was uh, that was another really bad one. One of these big ticket free agents that the Bucks shelled a lot of money out for did not pan out. Signed a five year, forty one point two five million dollar contract. Only played three seasons. Ended up getting traded to the Washington Redskins. And the style that Deshaun Goldson played was a, a style that was at that time getting heavily flagged. Uh, Goldson got suspended for for illegal hits to the head. It was just a mess all around. They had no pass rush. They were relying on a safety tandem of Goldson and Barron to put them over the top, and it was just it was a complete mess. Just not a good signing. It was great for the name recognition, but Deshaun Goldson definitely did not pan out to be the player that he was in San Francisco once he came to Tampa Bay. Yeah, and there's always a risk in signing free agents from other teams, but that one definitely uh, stands out among uh, the crowd. Some other free agent signings that stand out among the crowd uh, and some other moves. In fact, we're going to dub this, I think, James, the people have heard of the Summer of Sam. We're going to call this the Spring Slash Summer of Smith. Lovey Smith arriving in 2014 and completely remodeling the Tampa Bay Buccaneers roster, bringing in some vintage pieces to go with with his with his new home instead of most people who come in and try to upgrade to more modern type things um i'm I'm gonna let you take take the reins on some of this but just to list some of these names signing guys like josh mccown michael johnson major Wright, anthony collins and of course releasing darrell revis yeah and not only releasing revis but also releasing donald penn uh because they got anthony collins um yeah, it, it, going into a season where you have, at the time, one of the best shutdown corners in the NFL and then letting him walk for nothing because he doesn't, quote-unquote, fit the system and you want to replace him with guys like Major Wright and Alteron Werner, that was awful. Just absolutely awful, and it it continued to torpedo a team that was already torpedoing. Uh, just bad all around, and it was one of those things where Lovey had complete roster control. You know, Jason Light was there to, you know, make sure that they they got these guys that Lovey wanted and and get the contract stuff done. But these were Lovey's handpicked guys, and it just was bad. Yeah, you know, someday when Jason Light retires uh, from the NFL, or you know, uh, unfortunately, most GMs end up being fired from from the NFL, but however it is that Jason Light leaves Tampa, I hope he at least leaves with a good enough media relationship that a guy like Scott Reynolds or a Mark Cook or a Greg Almond 
can get him for kind of an exit interview or maybe a couple years later. I want to know what Jason Light was thinking when that move was made because I know he made the quotes and the comments at ESPN and, and those other outlets and talking about how this is you know, the direction we want to take the roster. But I want to know if Jason was really behind that move at all or if that was just, like you said, Lovey Smith having control and saying, no, this is what we're doing. Um, and then, of course, 2014 – uh, would not be complete without the introduction of a brand new uniform and those classic alarm clock numbers that James, you and I, and everybody with us covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for all these years have had to not not deal with because it's all, it's very reasonable, but have had to listen to fans and even some media members complain about over and over every offseason pining for a new uniform, which we finally got this year. And again, uh, you know, I don't want to sound too negative about it because it's completely understandable why people would complain about these uniforms. But those alarm clock numbers coming in at number four, barely missing the top three, but not by much. Yeah, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And if they just left them alone to begin with, they would still be wearing the iconic uniforms that they just changed back to. Um, yeah, I was one of those few people that the the jerseys grew on me. But yeah, you know, and I didn't dis- I didn't love them by any means, but I didn't despise them the way a lot of people did. And it was just whoever at Nike pitched this idea, whoever it was within the organization that looked at him and said, "Our fans are going to love these." No, Nike's redesigns of all these uniforms have basically been absolutely atrocious. Uh, you take a look at what they did with the Browns. You take a look at. Um, at what they did with the Buccaneers, what they've done with the Rams now, the Falcons, uh, and you have teams kind of going back to their classic look. The the Los Angeles Chargers are going back to a classic look. The Bucks, the Browns, going back to a classic look. Uh, really, the only the only drastic change that Nike has had, as far as uniforms are concerned, that are generally loved, but they weren't when they were first released, have been the Seattle Seahawks. Those have now become beloved uniforms, but at the time. When they were first released, they were not received well. So, yeah, whoever's in charge of these uniform designs for Nike, they need to be replaced immediately. We are wrapping up our 10 worst moves by the Buccaneers in the last 10 years here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And, David, this is one that that you brought up that I completely forgot about. And shame on me because it's number three on our list. But that was letting Michael Bennett walk out the door as a free agent and and not return. And really he became a, a pretty marquee player after that. Oh yeah. And this move predates Jason light. It predates love you Smith, you know, going all the way back to 2013 when Michael Bennett arrived to the Seattle Seahawks went on to have three pro bowl seasons, you know, uh, 2015 through 17 made the pro bowl in each of those seasons, won a super bowl with the Seahawks. So, I mean, uh, the, 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 our show has gotten Seahawk heavy all of a sudden, but Hey, I mean, that's a franchise that, you know, is kind of, brought themselves up from from the ground floor to sort of the penthouse in the National Football League here recently. And Michael Bennett was a part of that rebirth. And, you know, this isn't one of those situations where, you know, a player was on the Buccaneers roster, left Tampa, got signed by someone else, and just boom, it clicked, and the growth happened and all that stuff. I mean, Michael Bennett's last season in Tampa, he had nine sacks. It's just, I don't know, the franchise, someone in the, in the, in the locker room, or somewhere, you know, someone in control of the roster somewhere didn't believe that he was going to be able to sustain that kind of production. And, you know, he goes on to have a, du- a double-digit sack season at the age of 30. I mean, the Darrell Revis move by itself was a big one. Uh, you know, obviously it helped that 2014 summer and spring that Lovey Smith got to Tampa make t- the top five of our list. But I think, and this is what we were discussing, the difference between Michael Bennett 
and Darrell Rivas is Michael Bennett left Tampa and went on to have a career, whereas Darrell Rivas left Tampa and went on to have some good years, but the most, the majority of his career was already behind him. So at least you can hang a hat on that. Not a good enough of a hat, but you can hang a little bit of a hat on that. So the loss of Michael Bennett and the fact that you didn't even need to lose him uh, really hurt this franchise. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, how many times and for how long did we talk about, uh, you know, they need help for Gerald McCoy. Somebody needs to help Gerald McCoy. Well, they had their help and they let him walk right out the door and, and thought Michael Johnson was going to to fix it or Robert Ayers was going to fix it. And you, you had your guy. You had him in the palm of your hand and, and you let him walk. Uh, David, moving on. Uh, our number two biggest blunder by the Bucks in the last 10 years. Um, we're going to talk about your favorite human, my favorite human, <laughs> and it's the hiring of Mr. Toes on the Line himself, Greg Schiano. Yeah, Greg Schiano uh, following up Raheem Morris as the head coach of this team. I mean, you couldn't go more of a culture shock. You couldn't go more in, in any more of a 180-degree turn than you do going from Raheem Morris to Greg Schiano. And, and you know, Raheem, Mor- Raheem Morris had some of his own flaws and everything. I mean, uh, we had Styles White on the show, and he kind of dove into that a little bit about how, you know, certain players were treated uh, during the Raheem Morris years and all that stuff. But Greg Schiano, completely different style of person. And, and you know, I understand that, uh, you know, football, there's there's a lot of war type of references or military-style references in the game of football, you know, trenches and and all that stuff. But let's let's get something straight. Playing football is not going to war. And I think Greg Schiano kind of lost the, the reality between the, the euphemisms and the terms and the phrases and using those, which I don't have a problem with, believe me. But I think he, he, he blurred the line between using those phrases uh, in, 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 a demonstrative, in a demonstrative way and trying to come in with that drill sergeant mentality. I mean, listen, there's a reason drill sergeants are the way they are in the Army and the Marine Corps and et cetera, et cetera. And it's because – you're literally asking guys to go out there, stand in front of bullets, bombs, and put their life on the line. Um, football players definitely put their life on the line, but in a different fashion and in a different world, in a different society. These are not the guys that you're going to go out there and you're going to make them toe the line and expect to have that much uh, success with. I know that guys like Bill Belichick have that reputation. Bill Parcells kind of has our rep- that reputation. But I think the biggest thing with Greg Schiano is, and, and the difference between those guys is, if you're going to have that mentality, you better be able to bring the results. And that Greg Shano-led team did not bring those results, which is just going to make that mentality and that approach decay even faster. Uh, you know, you can talk the difference between uh, the, the, the inspiration behind it and the results and all that stuff. Again, if Greg Shano wins, maybe he's still the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but I don't see that ever happening. I don't see how that ever would have happened. And I mean, not for nothing, but he's bounced around, not just in the NFL, but in college football ranks as well. So. It's not just the Buccaneers that are kind of that were were kind of tired of him. Probably should have stayed in Rutgers, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure how many people that listen to this show were around on social media back when when this happened. But you know, a lot of people went to bed one night knowing Chip Kelly was the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, Stroud had reported it, Allman had reported it. Yeah, it was all over the place, and. By the time they woke up, Chip Kelly had backed out at some point during the middle of the night. Now, I'm not saying that that would have been a better alternative, but you know, Greg Schiano certainly wasn't exactly the best consolation prize either. Um, yeah, just they had a young, talented quarterback, 
And although not solely on the shoulders of Shiano, the absolute unbelievable drop-off and and disappearance of Josh Freeman, I, I think Shiano played a large role in that. Uh, yeah, there were some, you know, some other things. Yeah, he wasn't exactly hanging out with the best guys. He was, you know, hanging out with Kellen Winslow. And probably not the best influence for your young quarterback, but it shows how little control he really had over that team. You know, the basically the harder he tried to be on them, the farther away they pushed him. And uh, it just it really torpedoed this team for quite a few years. David, we have reached our number one biggest mistake of this franchise over the last 10 years. And I'm going to kick it over to you to, to introduce this one. <laughs> uh, it's the entire 2016 Tampa Bay Buccaneers NFL draft class. I mean, Vernon Hargraves, Noah Spence, Roberto Aguayo, Ryan Smith, Caleb Beninock, Devontae Bond, Dan Vitale. Ryan Smith, the only one who's still on the roster, and he's a special teams guy only. I mean, there there was some hope for a few years, a couple of years, whatever, that Ryan Smith might develop into maybe a safety, maybe a corner, be able to contribute. But, I mean, we saw in 2019 what happened when Ryan Smith had to step on the field to play defense, and it was not pretty. So the fact that he's even on this roster just kind of speaks to how valuable they see him as a special teams contributor. But I don't, you know, in, in any way, shape, or form, I don't think Ryan Smith considers his job to be secure because any young guy that comes in there that can do the same or similar on special teams but also potentially play a part on defense is going to unseat him with the quickness. Um, before recording, James, I made the comment to you, and I'm going to stand by it. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2016 could have traded literally every pick in their class but one, being Ryan Smith, and gotten just as much contribution from that draft class as they got as they've got sitting on this roster moving forward just 4 years later. Yeah, it was it was a miss all the way around. It just not not a great draft class. And you know, I mentioned earlier that that the Buccaneers traded Deshaun Goldson to the Redskins for a draft pick. Well, that draft pick ended up being Dan Vitale, their 6th round pick uh, at pick 197. It's just, it, and it, I don't know if people remember or not how how long ago it was, but I was irate uh, about the Vernon Hargraves selection. I did not want Vernon Hargraves to be their first round pick, and it was all over the place. That's who they're going to draft. It's a kid from Florida, you know, hometown kid, yada yada yada. And you take a look at him going up against the receivers in the NFC South. We said from the beginning, this is not a good match. This is this is bad, and you take a look at some of the guys that they could have had. You know, they could have had Sheldon Rankins. They could have had Laramie Tunsil, Kenny Clark. You know, these are guys that would have contributed and probably would still be contributing for this team uh, as the first round pick back in 2016. And instead, you know, they they ship Hargraves out of town. You know, that's that's kind of the end of it. That's that's kind of the last of that draft class, as you said, other than Ryan Smith. And all of a sudden, the secondary gets better. You know, coincidence, maybe. Probably not. And, yeah, what a mess Noah Spence ended up being. So, yeah, that's um, that's going to do it for the, uh, the top ten biggest mistakes of the Buccaneers franchise over the last ten years. Uh, David, anything else before we get out of here, buddy? It was a lot of fun putting this list together, and we and there were some things that we left off this list. There were a couple of things we combined to make room for all the things that we did leave on the list. 
Uh, again, I just want to make sure, again, guys, it, it, this is not meant to, you know, take shots at anybody or be, you know, have any type of animosity towards the franchise or any specific player. It's just, it's all in fun. If you can't laugh at your history, you're not going to be doing any better in your future. Uh, this team has a bright future, but uh, we just thought it would be a good a good opportunity and a good idea uh, presented to to possibly kind of look back and laugh a little bit at what everybody has been through. Yeah, and let's be honest, you know, we don't get to where we are without the things that happened to us in the past. You can say that about your own personal life. You can say that about your career, whatever the case may be. The same is true for the Buccaneers. So without these 10 mistakes, we're not sitting here talking about Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski being on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because all these things over the course of the last decade have led to where we are today. But with that, we are getting out of here. So please check out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, at Bucks underscore Nation. Send us your voicemails to 813-444-5841. If we missed one of these huge blunders over the last 10 years, let us know. Or if you want to call in and say, hey, all those mistakes, how about some positives? Here's my favorite thing that they've done over the last 10 years feel free to do so also head to builtbar.com promo code locked on for ten dollars off your first order hope you all have an absolutely amazing weekend stay safe stay healthy wash your hands and we thank you so much for joining us right here at locked on bucks